So today we begin a series in the prophets. Now, you might not know, have any context to know what that means. So today is going to be an orientation to the subject. We're just going to move into this slowly and kind of orient ourselves to what we're reading as we start to look through the prophets found in the Old Testament in our Bibles. Um, now, with any in any reading, in any literature, there are all sorts of things happening underneath the surface that the more we're aware of them, the better we're able to understand what we're reading or, or what we're experiencing in any given moment. Uh, so for instance, as we read from the Bible, uh, we are reading an ancient document translated from Hebrew and Greek into our language. Uh, we're reading a, a document from an ancient culture speaking to an ancient context, right? There's all sorts of things happening under the surface as we read scripture. And today, one of the things we want to engage and consider is literary genre and how it affects the way we might understand and interpret any section of scripture. So if, uh, if so far uh, we're kind of just feeling a little confused, what are, who are these prophets and, and what are we getting into, uh, the next four minutes is not going to help you understand it any better. Uh, however, it is going to illustrate the importance of a, a morning like this as we kind of orient ourselves to the prophets uh, as we talk about genre here for a minute. You see, um, what we're going to do next is kind of identify how genre can drastically affect the way we would understand and interpret something. So what Sarah and I are going to do, we each prepared uh, three little uh, short short sentences, short little uh, things, and the other is going to try to identify what's that genre and what's kind of the purpose of what's happening in that text. So you want to go? You want to go first? You got one? I got one. Are you re- are you ready for this? Yes. It's... Genre. Okay, here we go. Let's see. Let's see if he can figure this one out. I have to prepare myself. This one's... <clears throat> Luke, I am your father. (laughs) Okay. First of all, that's not my name. (laughs) And secondly, no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So clearly a quote, this is a pop culture reference, right? And often you would... Do you know? Do you know the reference? I'm putting you on the spot here. Star Wars uh, or Star Trek. That's not Star Trek. It's Star Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. It's one of those star things. No, I always do this to upset a few people in here. Um, yeah, so I know what it's from. And that's an interesting one because uh, many of us would understand that. But uh, imagine someone uh, a thousand years from now uh, reading or listening to that statement. Outside of the context of that culture, you'd have no clue. So genre. Okay, let me, let me see. I have one. Uh, here we go. Combine onion and garlic mis- mixture, beef, uh, crumbled bread, crushed crackers, eggs, and sour cream. Uh, mix in the milk one teaspoon at a time until the mixture is moist but not soggy. What's well, a recipe of some sort? Do you I'm know like, what it's a recipe it... for? Me, I wonder Someone if got it. Up. It was me, <laughs> though. I left out the Worcestershire and a couple things. But yeah, yeah, you got it. You know what we're doing. So it's recipe. a recipe, and the purpose is to... Yeah. Teach you how to make this food. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, my turn. Okay. <clears throat> my previous one was really short, so I'm going to give you a longer one. Okay. But it's just one sentence, and I ask you, please don't fall asleep. Um, the user agrees to hold harmless and indemnify and defend owner, including owner's agents, employees, and representatives from any and all liability for injury and damage, including but not limited to bodily injury, personal injury, emotional injury, or property damage, which may result from any person using the above described premises. It's 
entrances and exits and surrounding areas for users' purposes, regardless of whether such injury or damage results from the negligence of the owner, including the owner's agents, employees, and representatives, or otherwise. One sentence. Yeah. One that is <laughs> that literally is one, one sentence. sentence. Well, I know what that is. Uh, those were in our wedding vows, right? No. <laughs> that is not from our wedding vows. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> uh, okay, clearly a legal document, and it's to be used in a court of law we, to... We actually use yeah. this to, for people renting this facility. Right, that right. is from our legal documents. Okay, so I got one... Um, all I can say is that my life is pretty plain. I like watching the puddles gather rain. And all I can do uh, is pour some tea for two and speak my point of view because it's not sane. I've heard it. It's a song. It's a song, it's yes. A, it's a poem. It's a lyric. Yes, it's poetic in nature. A lot of our music yeah. is. Anyone know what it is, though? Yeah. What is it? No Rain by Blind Melon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, last one. Nice and short. Uh, you probably haven't heard this in a while, but I know you've heard this at least a couple hundred times. Okay? Llama llama, red pajama, in the dark without his mama, eyes wide open, covers drawn. What if mama llama's gone? You even read it like we used to read it to our children. Okay, so it's, it's a poem, it's a book, yeah, it, it's poetic in nature uh, and all that. Purpose. The purpose, uh, entertainment, entertainment for children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for adults too, I guess. That was an entertaining book. Okay, one, one last one. Uh, oxymoron. An oxymoron is a figure of speech in which contradictory words are put together in an unexpected way. Dictionary. Yes. Definition. It's a definition. Uh, uh, one of my favorites, uh, an unbiased opinion. Right? Uh, no, an oxymoron, an unbiased oh, opinion, right? Yes. Absolute opposites that somehow we think logically fit together in our minds. Okay, so what we're doing there, we're going to move on now, but what we're doing there is identifying the way context and the genre of writing would drastically uh, ex- <laughs> would drastically affect, that's the word I'm looking for, the ways we would understand a statement being made. Now, quite often when we go to Scripture, we try to do a very plain, literal reading uh, without any of the context or understanding of genre and things like that behind it. Um, now, there's many ways in which we can read Scripture in that way, and that is perfectly okay. But one of the things we're going to do today is, is try to identify in this, in this intro to the prophets, uh, what are some of the literary genres and the contextual things that might help us better understand what's happening in the text? So, um, what is a prophet? That's probably should start there. Okay, let's start there. Uh, a prophet was a representative from God, someone whom God uh, had an interaction with and said, I need you to go and speak to my people. I need you to go and prophesy to this nation. Uh, quite often when we would think of a prophet or prophecy, we'd think of something akin to a fortune teller. But that's not what the prophets were in, in the Old Testament. Now, there are a number of statements and, and, and um, prophecies made about future events by the prophets. But understand, that's not the primary genre that, 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 the, uh, that the prophets are about. Instead, the, the prophets in the Old Testament operated more like a lawyer 
with concern to the covenant that God had made with Israel. Uh, The prophets were those, uh, like a prosecution uh, attorney, uh, making accusations against Israel related to the covenant that they were in with God. And so they were representing God's God's point of view and speaking to the people. And so as the prophets reminded people of their covenant with God, um, it's important for us to understand what does that mean? What, what is covenant? What, that's not a word that we use very often. And a covenant is was in in terms of the old in the context of the Old Testament this really close partnership between God and God's people. And it was a relationship in which both parties committed to certain things and um, committed to the consequences of breaking if, if they broke with covenant. But they were committed to sharing certain goals, and it was very personal, and it was a binding um, commitment between God and the people. And so it began with Abraham. We want to start there and looking at the covenants in the Old Testament. God started, began his covenant with the people of, of Israel first in Genesis 12, when he spoke to Abraham, who was before he was called Abraham, who was called Abram. So let's read the first three verses of Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So you have God, creator of the universe, creator of humanity, and God's desire is to walk with humanity, walk with people. God wants to bless people. And so God chooses to work through, um, beginning with a man named Abram or Abraham, and says, I will make you into a great nation. I will have a covenant with you. I will be your God. You You will follow me. And then I will bless all the world through you. Through you, somehow I will bless all people. So this is the beginning of God's covenant with Israel. God says, follow me, walk closely, I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless the world through you. So in fact, Israel does become a great nation. And a portion of their story and the biblical narrative uh, of of Israel's history that we find in the Old Testament uh, tells of them uh, going to Egypt uh, to find food during a great famine. Uh, Their family is now growing in size. Uh, They find refuge there for a season uh, before, uh, until they become so numerous that uh, the Egyptian pharaoh becomes, feels threatened by this nation and enslaves God's people, these Israelite people. Uh, For about 400 years now, Israel is enslaved in Egypt. Can you imagine generation after generation waiting upon those promises that God had made? I will make you into a great nation and I will give you this land called Canaan. Uh, So in time, God calls Moses and he he says, uh, lead my people out of Egypt. Moses does exactly that. And in their travel from Egypt to the promised land, to Canaan, uh, they come across Mount Sinai. And in Exodus, Exodus chapter 24, uh, we find uh, Moses 
reestablishing covenant with God, right? Now, after hundreds of years, and now it's a vast nation of a few million people or so, uh, the nation of Israel finds themselves now reestablishing that covenant with God. Exodus 24, verse 6, Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Uh, Understand that animal sacrifice was common amongst many nations, including the Israelite nation in this season, and so that's what's happening. with With a sacrifice at an altar, they are reestablishing covenant. Uh, He took the blood, uh, I'm sorry, he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these people. Okay, so a little bit gruesome and, and a little, little bit uh, distant from our culture Glad and we don't have life to experiences. Do that yes, absolutely. Uh, and yet, a beautiful illustration, beautiful metaphor of what will come in Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a second. And so what we have here is this, uh, this covenant upon which uh, Israel's relationship with God is built, uh, begin with a man named Abraham. Hundreds of years later, a people freed from Egypt now say, as a people, instead of just a single man from whom the nation would come, say, we will follow this covenant. We will uphold our end of covenant. And from Mount Sinai, Israel will travel to the promised land, and and they will settle there and become a great nation. And God will reestablish again this covenant with King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 11b, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for, a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And you see here in this reestablishment of the covenant, God is speaking to, to different things here. First of all, speaking to, to David's son, Solomon, and the future kings that, that if they obey, it'll go one way. And if they don't, there'll be consequences. But then God says something really significant. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. That there will be a king who rules forever from the line of David. And this kingdom will never end. So to, to ensure we're tracking together, the Old Testament is Israel's story of their interaction with God, right? And their interactions in the world. Uh, It's a story of God's intent as seen in the Garden of Eden, the first 10 chapters in Genesis, a kind of a precursor to the story of Israel, uh, beginning with Abraham in in chapter 12. Um, It's the story of God's intent to partner with humanity for the sake of this world and for the sake of humanity. And to do that, he called a nation, uh, the Abraham, the forefather of the Israelite nation, he calls this man and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this promised land, and I am going to bless you for the sake of the world, that you would be a blessing in this world. Now, here's the trick. 
God is faithful in his side of covenant, and Israel is not. So we track now hundreds of years later, again in the story, this narrative that we find in the Old Testament, and we find Israel in complete rebellion to covenant, in complete rebellion to their relationship with God, having taken on foreign gods and all sorts of evil practices and wicked kings doing terrible things. This nation is far from God, and so enters the prophets. This is where we find ourselves in the, in the Old Testament narrative, in the story of Israel, a rebellious nation, and God sending prophets to speak to these nations. In a sense, covenant lawyers saying, this is how you have breached covenant, and these will be the results of breaching it. And so when we speak of the prophets, often we talk about, we're talking about the 15 books of the prophets that are in scripture. However, I do want to point out that there are prophets throughout the biblical narrative. So a prophet, again, is someone who's a representative of God, someone who speaks for God. And, and so people like Abraham and Moses were called prophets. I also want to point out that, um, even in, uh, the context of a very patriarchal culture and, and history here, there are many women prophets that are also mentioned. Women like Miriam and Deborah and Huldah and, and Anna who held Jesus uh, when they, they took baby Jesus to the temple. And so we see prophets throughout the story. We're going to be diving into some of the prophetic books. And so um, we have a slide here that has the names of the prophets. So there are three major prophets, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and then 12 minor prophets. And the major and minor simply refer to the length of the book. It's not that, it's not that the minor prophets aren't as important <laughs> as actually the, major the minor prophets. ones are easier to read. Start there if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so the major prophets are are longer. They have more general topics. Some of the um, minor prophets or the the shorter uh, uh, prophets have themes that that are throughout the track throughout the whole um, book that are more specific. And so as we dive into some of these uh, books of the prophets, um, they were, it's good to understand the history, like Micah was talking about, they were words that were spoken to Israel um, during the divided kingdom. So after Israel came and, and conquered Canaan and established um, themselves there, there was um, one king that ruled over Israel and Judah, and then there was a divide, and there were two kingdoms. And so there was a lot of political unrest going on at this time. And the books of the prophets are, are going to start there during the divided kingdom, and then there'll be several books that are, are spoken and written during the exile, and then several books that are spoken and written um, during the diaspora when the, the, Drew, the Israelites were scattered in different nations, and also some of them had returned to Jerusalem. So, Understanding when you're reading a prophet, it's important to figure out well, what part of the history am I? Are they speaking into here? That's going to be really important for us as we move forward. Okay, and how did the prophets speak? Like, what should we expect as we begin to read these books of the prophets? Um, this back to what we began with. Uh, one thing being literary genre. Like, how are these? people writing. What are they writing about, and what is the genre with which they're writing? Uh, first of all, we will find a ton of poetry. Now, poetry is really difficult to, to pick up in Scripture because uh, we're reading a 
thousands-of-year-old document that was written in Hebrew and has now been translated into English for us, right? So poetry doesn't translate well. You won't hear the rhymes. You won't feel the cadence in the same way as that you would in the original language. You know, I've had to fill in as an interpreter at different times, living overseas and speaking different languages. And it's so hard when the person you're interpreting for constantly uses idioms or, or expressions because I'm like, that doesn't translate Certainly not literally. Like, yeah, and so you have to translate the meaning instead of the actual words. It was fascinating in college um, to take courses about translation as well as like Greek uh, and, and, and that sort of thing. And to see how this document that we read, for instance, the NIV or the King James or whatever translation you read, the complexity in every verse, in every concept, how do we articulate this in a new language, in a new culture? So as we read the prophets, understand there's tons of poetry, and and we know that the genre of poetry works differently than legalese, or works differently... Than Lama Lama. Than Lama Lama, yes. Uh, No, that was a poem. Yeah. So poetry works differently than many other genres, and we have poetry throughout the Old Testament prophets and their books. Um, There's a ton of metaphors used in the prophets, and uh, many of these are, are like incredibly exaggerated speech. And again, that doesn't translate well. We, we hear it quite literally, but an early reader would have understand this is, this is, you know, metaphor and this is exaggerated speech to make a point. And it's hard sometimes in scripture to, to understand that, to hear it in the way that, the, that the genre, genre was intended. Um, there's poetry, uh, throughout scripture. There's metaphor and exaggerated speech. There's bold imagery. There's repetition. Uh, and that's one thing you'll, you'll watch for if you find yourself reading through one of the minor prophets this week or something, watch for words or themes that keep coming back because often they're bookends. They're kind of showing you a section, a movement in uh, in one of uh, the, the themes that's playing out in that book. It's incredibly important to understand um, uh, that the time, the culture, and the type of literature we're reading. And as we look at a few different books of the prophets in the weeks to come, we'll do our best to kind of place ourselves uh, in... in, in at least in our understanding, in the place of an original hearer. What was this prophet saying to a nation called Israel? One of the things that's interesting about the prophets, um, these books, they're actually collections of speeches. So they're anthologies. They're, they're collections. It, it, they're typically not a one, like the transcript of one speech that someone stood up and gave the entire speech. So how do these books come to be? There's a great example in Jeremiah 36 that I think will help us understand this. Starting in verse one. In the fourth year of Jehovah, Jehoiakim, I needed to practice that one, son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And and God said, take a scroll and write down all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel and Judah and all the other nations um, from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps the people of Judah... Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn from their wicked ways, and then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So God has been speaking to Israel through the prophets, and he's been reminding them of the covenant. He's telling them, hey, if you guys don't turn from this path, here are the disasters that are coming um, for you. And also, hey, I want to forgive your wickedness. I want to forgive your sin. Just turn back to me. And so God tells Jeremiah 
to summarize these big themes and write them down. And it's fun that Jeremiah must have not enjoyed writing because he used a scribe, which is very common. He, He uses a scribe to write it down for him. And so when we look at these books, this is part of the reason why there are these repeated themes that that different themes are grouped together because they're anthologies or collections that were summarizing years and years of, of preaching and prophesying into one book. Yeah. In each of the prophets, we'll find three major themes playing out. Um, those three being an accusation of sin, uh, a prophet coming to say, you have broken covenant. This is what you have done. Uh, secondly, a call to repentance. Interestingly enough, in that Jeremiah 36 passage that Sarah just read, we see all three of those play out just in, in, in those few verses. Uh, an accusation of sin, a call to repentance, and then finally, uh, a statement about God's justice. And uh, justice, remember, we spoke a number of weeks ago about this, um, speaks in Scripture primarily to restorative justice uh, as opposed to um, uh, punitive justice, right? Yeah, um, it speaks to restorative. So it's God saying, you have sinned, you need to repent, and this is what my justice looked like. This is how restoration will come about in this season. And one of the reasons why it's hard to read the prophets is because we do see um, elements of that punitive justice also in there and in, the, in this idea of, hey, if you don't turn, you're going to go to exile. And that's hard, hard for us to read. So how do we read through um, the prophets? Well, one thing is really important. We're, as we read the prophets, we have to remember that um, we live today <laughs> and not 2,000 or 3,000, 4,000 years ago. We read the prophets not as people under the Old Testament, uh, the Old Covenant, but people under the New Covenant. I think about my relationship with my parents. And when I was a toddler, I had a bedtime. When I was a teenager, I had a curfew and a bedtime. And now they come and visit me every year. And it would just be weird and wrong and not appropriate for them to try to enforce that bedtime, right? Like, I'm an adult now. The, the, the place in the story has changed. And so as we read through the prophets, let's remember that we are, um, we are not uh, reading the prophets as, as people under the old covenant, but as people under the new covenant of grace through Jesus. So uh, what, what we're trying to do here yeah. is create some distance. Uh, we're going to read all sorts of proclamations of God's mm-hmm. judgment against people, and it might be easy to read those as his statements to us, but we're creating some distance here intentionally to understand there mm-hmm. was a different covenant, there was a different culture, there was mer- very many different things in place in the documents that we're reading. Paul speaks in Hebrews chapter 9 with some clarity to this, this new covenant, this idea of a transition that you and I live mm-hmm. in different relationship with God because of Jesus. So Hebrews chapter nine fifteen says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, Um, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom and set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Paul is trying to clarify us. In Jesus and and in his sacrifice and in God's love, we have been invited to new covenant. Now, uh, this in no way uh, dispels the importance of us understanding 
Old Testament context and what's happening in the prophets. But do understand, we read the uh, the story of these prophets from a different position than that of the original hearers. So there's going to be plenty of application and, and helpful things for us to as we dive in to understand who God is and, and what God desires and the character of God. But it's not a one-to-one correlation to, to us today. Okay, so... Uh, Today we've tried to introduce what these prophetic books are, and we've begun to make this movement to realize that we have a ton to learn from and grow from in studying the prophets. We also find ourselves in a different position, and that because of the work of Jesus. So to tie together a couple themes as we as we cl- begin to close out here today, um, we talked about this covenant that God had established through Abraham, through Moses, with the Israelite people, through King David, right? And Jesus comes as fulfillments to all of this covenant. It's not that the old was bad and had to be done away with, but Jesus came and fulfilled those. You see, Jesus was the new Abraham. He was the blessing to all nations, including you and me here today. Jesus was the new and complete Moses, uh, a a prophet. Uh, He was the perfect Israelite. Jesus, born into the Israelite nation, living a sinless life, was again the fulfillment of this covenant. Uh, Jesus would be the one that would fulfill Israel's side of covenant before God. Jesus uh, is the, the king in the line of David. He is the forever king of Israel. Again, the fulfillment of covenant is seen in the life of Jesus and invites us into a new place in relationship with God. This is not the first time I've thought this, but this week as I was thinking through this, I'm so thankful for the time that I'm born in. I'm so thankful that we are here at this part of the God story, of this part of the greater narrative, that it's not all been completed, but we see the bigger picture that we we get to know Jesus as the Messiah. We get to know Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the God incarnate, the Redeemer. And the story is not over. There's still a whole lot of healing and a whole lot of kingdom of God that needs to come. And yet there's so much hope because we know how the story ends. And I'm excited to get to be a part of it. As we move into a time of communion, I want to invite the band back up. And we want to remember as we take communion today in Jesus that we are under a new covenant of grace. Listen for the language of this new covenant in Matthew 26. This is Jesus. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, the covenant of grace. The same language we read used in Moses and the sacrifice. Jesus would be that sacrifice that fulfills the old covenant, invites us into new relationship with God. We have today the opportunity to share in communion, and this is something that we do to remember his sacrifice, his love, his hope. Communion has been prepared uh, for anyone and everyone who is present here today. You are invited to share in communion with us. As we remember in the bread, Jesus' body that, that was broken, as we 
we remember in the blood, in the, in the fruit of the vine, his blood that was poured out. Today we remember Jesus, God's invitation to new covenant uh, found in him. Today as we take communion, uh, we'll do it in this manner. Uh, the band's going to play uh, for us as we all go and grab the elements. They're here in the center of the room and they're at the back as well. If you would grab a, a cracker and the juice and bring it back with you to your seat. Uh, today we have an opportunity to share in communion together at the same time. And it's a way that we're reminded that this is communion both with God and with each other. As fellow believers, we get to share in this beautiful uh, time together. Uh, so let me pray. The band will uh, play as we grab the elements and then I'll come back up and we'll take communion together in the middle of this song. God, we thank you for this day, for this time, for an opportunity to be together, for the beginning of, of this pursuit as we try to understand more of you more of your work in this world uh, as revealed through the prophets that went to Israel. Um, God, as we speak of covenant today and as we consider uh, these concepts, we're so grateful uh, for the way you have invited us into covenant relationship with you. Uh, that, that through Jesus, we've been invited into this relationship in which you have demonstrated love and mercy to us. You've invited us to be your representatives in this world as we demonstrate love and mercy to others. So today, uh, God, as we take communion. Spirit, we invite you uh, to, to move amongst us that we might know, God, your love for us in this. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.